And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to win awards across this great nation and beyond. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And Tony, you are joining us from Washington. Mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. Yes, I am, Jody. So I'm here for uh, another couple of days and uh, the weather is quite nice and I'm going to get a bunch of things done. I'm here. I'm going to be attending the John Senator John McCain Freedom Awards oh. uh, in the next 24 hours, and uh, they're going to be awarding the Freedom Awards this year to Alexei Navalny, who uh, is our remember our guest Vladimir Milov. Those okay. two work together as as Russian dissidents, and then the other awards going to the people of Ukraine for their resistance on uh, Putin's invasion. Uh, so there'll be senators and you know Congress people and politicos there. I, I've been to this several times in the past. This is now post COVID. It's it's in person again. So I'm quite excited about going there. If I I'll bring my tape recorder along, see if I can get any comments from Mitch McConnell or uh, or or whomever. And uh, but we'll see. But uh, in the meantime, uh, that's why I'm here. And I decided to go a couple of days early to get some other business done. I feel like you would be like the perfect roving reporter for like a late night talk show like Jimmy Kimmel. You know when they like send <laughs> yeah. out those slapstick kind of fake but kind of real reporters? Like I just yeah. feel like you would fit that perfectly. Thank you. I, I, I will take that as a compliment uh, because I don't know how else to take it. Oh, I think I could just see you being so serious but yet interjecting some semblance of dry humor and I could see like Jimmy Kimmel or James Corden having fun with it, but I just that for some reason I just visualize that in my head right now, like you live in front of the White House doing some sort of roving reporter shtick. So I nearly bumped into Jason Kenny, the Premier of Alberta, today too, because he he was down here to uh, talk to the Energy Committee of the Senate, and he was staying in the same hotel. The storied Mayflower Hotel is where I'm staying, and uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, used to have lunch here every day for 20 years. John F. Kennedy has stayed here. and uh, They've got Harry, Harry S. Truman and a bunch of presidents and a bunch of Hollywood types and so on. So anyway, Jason was staying here and I was staying here. and We, we missed each other just by minutes, but I, I had a nice chat with his energy minister. So there you go. Everybody's staying at the, uh, the Mayflower. <laughs> There's a, I've only been to Washington once and I just remember... There's a really good steakhouse I went to downtown. Joe's? I I don't think that was the name of it, but I could be wrong. I, I don't There are know. some great steakhouses. Yeah, down so there. we went to yeah. a really nice steakhouse. The one thing I was blown away with, and if you've been to the White House before or seen or been to Washington, you might already know this, but you're the first time maybe you felt the same way. But when I went for the first time, I had because every time we see the White House on television or pictures, all you see is the expanse of the lawn and the green space, right? right? Right. I had no idea that there were so many, that it was literally right in the middle of all these buildings and stuff. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. I was blown away. The first, I was like, what? I was like, holy smokes. What? I had no idea. 
Well, you've got the executive office building right next door. That's kind of the the overflow for people who don't get an office in the West Wing. Uh, and then you've got the Treasury Department rec- right next door too. So that's a that's a famous and storied building too. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's got some prime real estate there. I was walking by the White House earlier today, and uh, there was the usual, you know, people setting up protest tents, and uh, there was a there was a jazz band that was performing, uh, and some other some other circus like activity, but no no protest <laughs> today. No protest. Well, that's that's disappointing. Um, We should thank John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions uh, for being our presenting sponsor each week. Uh, Couldn't do the show without them. So thank you so much to to them. And I know that, Tony, you're just itching to share about the MZO work they do. Yeah, they uh, they are the provincial experts on MZOs. That is municipal zoning orders, Jody, and uh, they can help uh, their clients get to yes when it comes to MZOs. Those are very important to get those development projects approved and uh, get built. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff, whether it's permit expediting or architectural services, planning services. But the MZOs is what John wants us to concentrate on with. Uh, with our audience. And so go to municipalsolutions.ca and you'll get the whole picture there. And uh, I know John Mutton and the gang would really appreciate it. The other thing I just wanted to remind folks is you can also listen to these podcasts on terrestrial radio, Hunter's Bay Radio in Muskoka, rebroadcasts our podcast at 8.30 a.m. Saturday mornings. Go to huntersbayradio.com for that. Yeah, like I'm, I'm huge in Bracebridge now. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty big in Brooks Falls. Yeah. I've got asked to do so many events in Bracebridge since (laughs) since we started broadcasting the show. Good for uh, you. It's crazy. But uh, also got to thank uh, looneypolitics.com. You can get exclusive content there by becoming a subscriber. Uh, Use the code podcast to get 50% off an annual subscription. Once again, looneypolitics.com. You can get our... When I say our, Tony and I, we do yes. election recaps for the provincial election here in Ontario. That is available right now, but you got to be a subscriber and uh, check that out, looneypolitics.com. Speaking of the provincial election, Tony, quickly, I just want to yeah, mention yeah, this. Sure. I don't know if you watched much of the debate last night. I kind of I, I watched it from the airport uh, okay. waiting for my flight, which yeah, was delayed you, you by didn't miss hours. much. You didn't miss much if you didn't <laughs> see all of it. But but Mike Schreiner, leader of the Greens, did give a shout out to Perry Sound Muskoka. So, you, you know why that is, eh? Apparently that candidate is pretty good. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, Matt Richter is pretty good. Um, not as good as the PC candidate, of course. Uh, but uh, the other key thing you should know about the Perry Sound Muskoka race, Jody, is guess who the Liberal candidate is? I think you you told me this before. I can't. I don't know. I can't remember. There is no Liberal candidate. Oh, that's right. That's right. They never did have one. That's right. They did, and then he. Oh got wait, kicked. that was the guy that had the. The commentary on babies or something? Yeah, that they, breathing. they were breathing the wrong way and therefore became gay. So they had to kick him out. And so the liberal, oh. liberals were running around trying to get another candidate on the ballot. It and didn't happen. By the cutoff, they were 12 signatures short. And so oh, there's, no, there's no liberal candidate. Wow, and when so, was the last time there hadn't, hasn't been a liberal candidate in that riding? 
confederation. Yeah, I was going to say that does not happen often. No, no. Wow. No. So, so yeah. So the Greens are looking at this. There's no incumbent MPP because Norm Miller retired. There's no liberal candidate. So they're licking their chops for sure. So, and I know you've been working hard with Graydon and yeah. Uh, of course, he's been on our program before. Does this does this change the land? Like, does this change the game here? Like, is that? Uh, so far, uh, our research indicates that we gain a couple of points. The NDP gains a couple of points, but the the Greens do gain some some points on this too. Okay. Makes it tighter. Makes it tighter. It makes it tighter. I, I I can't I cannot tell a lie. It makes it tighter, but. Uh, Graydon, I still feel confident, uh, will be the successful candidate. He's very well known. He was the mayor of Bracebridge, very well liked. Uh, and frankly, Doug Ford is well liked too. Uh, yeah. you, you may be finding this too. Uh, you know, I've been in change elections where the premier or the leader is not well liked. And believe me, I know what that feels like. And this doesn't feel like that, at least in Perry, Samuskoka, And I dare say in other parts of the province that I've been going to as well. Yeah, I would tend to agree, even on the heels of that debate last night. I mean, my overarching summary is like, I mean, I think it was just sad all the way around. I think that, you know, I, I, I you know what's funny? Well, actually, Schreiner was like the best speaker out of all four of them. And even even he people, wasn't that great. People but, say that, but yeah. I, I found him a bit whiny. I got to tell you. Yeah, no, it's you're right. I, it's his voice. The sound of his voice is annoying, but mm-hmm. he delivers... And he speaks the best, like understand, like, okay. I am amazed at how sloppy Doug Ford still is. Stephen Del Duca is not strong. And Andrea is just, I mean, she's two elections too long in there. Like she needed yeah. to be gone uh, a little while ago, but you know, I, I don't know. Doug just still stumbles a lot. Like it's, it's kind of, at first it was kind of folksy and appealing, but I find it annoying now. So do you think that he lost ground? Cause I, I no, felt no, that no, he, no, no. I yeah, saw what I'm yeah. saying. I'm just saying, okay. I'm just saying none of them are very strong. Like, honestly, right. like, I mean, this, this is going to sound self-serving, but I literally think I could do a better job than they, than they do like on there. Like, I, I just thought it was, I thought it was like a college style debate and Steve Pakin was great. I don't know who that other woman was. Althea I, thought she was I thought she was terrible. She's done, she's done debates before. She used oh, to be a Huffington terrible. Post uh, reporter when I was uh, on the Hill and now I think she's with CBC or something like that. No, I, I literally, I, it felt like I was watching a college style debate put on by students. That's how I just thought it was like really Mickey Mouse. Like, yeah, absolutely could tell it was Canadian. Well, that's <laughs> because like, we didn't have the sad trombone sound. Like, well, we had no, at but the, uh, federal but you know what I mean? Like, do, you ever, do you ever watch? Have you watched Canada's Got Talent? Have you watched any of those? Never. No, like there, there's like, I mean. I hate to say this about our country, but for some reason we can't do things to the same level yeah. as what other, like the States does for America's got talent. Like you watch the two shows and you no know, comparison. that Canada's got talent. It's like, uh, this just isn't as good. Like production wise, like everything. Like anyway, that's how it felt last night. I was like, Ay, ay, ay. It's like, am I watching something on Kojiko right now? Or <laughs> hey, did you find it weird that they were so scrunched together too? The whole thing was weird. Like they were so close to one another. Like they were like a foot and a half apart. Like did they not have a good studio space or something? I don't know. I thought the whole thing was weird. But no, I don't think anybody I don't think anybody won. I don't think anybody lost. I think uh use the classic line. I think Ontario lost. No, um 
but doesn't the tie go to the incumbent? Sure. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I mean, yeah. honestly, I don't I like, yeah, I don't see how Ford loses this, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. But this is probably I mean the polls have tightened up a little bit in the last couple of days, though. Have you noticed yeah, that? But what is that? What is that? I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly I just don't know. I thought I thought Del Duca's line there where he tried to zing him oh, that old J- Jack Layton line the there Jack about Layton not line showing up for work. Thanks. I was like, uh yeah, that might have worked ten years ago, but like Ford's been out on the road for two years during he's, COVID. He's been shoveling snow, man. Yeah. Like who cares? <laughs> like I don't care about if he's in question period yeah. or not. I actually don't consider that the work. I, I think the work is done, you know, in the committees, it's done on the ground, it's done meeting people where they're at, but that's my opinion. Plus but, the other uh, thing was Leighton's line was directed at another leader of the opposition, not at, yeah. at the prime minister. So again, it, it, it wasn't going to work against Doug Ford because he's a busy guy. Yeah. And he, and even the fact that he even said like, you know, if you had, if you missed 82% of your work days, would you end would you get paid or would you keep your job? I'm like, this is so lame. Del Duca, like, give me a break. But oy, oy, oy. Anyway, anyway, he's got a little bit of a bump. I don't know whether that's just we're kind of in the middle of the uh, mid middle of the election, and there's a natural tendency to uh, to give uh, the uh, insurgent a little bump. But I'm I'm not sure it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna stay that long. To be well, honest. I'm definitely predicting low voter turnout. I, I just don't yeah. think there's any interest. Um, yeah, so yeah. I don't know who that suits. They always say that suits the incumbent, the incumbent right? Incumbent. Yeah. More yeah. people come out. That usually indicates change. Um, but yeah, so I guess in theory, then you would think that you know, that's good for the PCs, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I just kind of go like, well, wow, it's not is... over yet, Jody, you know, only no. half a campaign so far. Yeah. But like, no, like I, I, I can walk up and down my street and I can tell you that I, I'd be shocked if a handful of people were even knew what was going on right yeah, now. I know. Are there fewer uh, lawn signs up? In your neck you know what? Across the board, I don't know what it's like in your area, but I've known, I've seen this in the last elections over, you know, over the last cycles, the last couple cycles, I guess, in all federal, provincial, municipal election signs in this area are definitely waning. Like there's absolutely yeah. not as many people put signs up. I it's agree. not even close. I agree. Um, which is interesting. And quite frankly, like I was driving down one of the main streets today and there was a bunch of signs blown over in the wind. And I'm like, I think we got to get, I don't know. I, there's got to be something more different we can do than signs. Cause honestly it looks junky and I, I just not a fan of them anymore. Well, maybe like, it's uh, time. Time is up for lawn signs. Maybe we don't need them anymore. Maybe we all just need uh, big digital led billboards on our lawns. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, that's the answer. We should have Christmas lights, you know, different holograms. Colors. Holograms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, actually, you know, and you know, it's funny too. I won't name. I saw a, a picture of a local chamber of commerce, and they had the they had their debate all candidates event tonight. And did you know? <laughs> I thought this was funny. They had all the logos of the parties with the party name on their chair, so in front of their seat, kind of like a mini sign. Wow, fancy! And no, but here's the thing: they used the federal conservative logo oh, for the no. PC member. I'm like. Who doesn't research these things? Like, <laughs> anyway, it was like the conser- it said conservative with the 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 new logo oh, that was introduced no. under O'Toole. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And these are that's embarrassing. commerce people. But yeah, that's embarrassing. Anyway, so um, I don't know. All, all good people happen. just volunteering their time, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I'm sure that's uh, thank exactly. you for your service. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so you have an interview yeah. that you want to tee up here because you recorded uh, a, a cool chat uh, while you're in Washington. So I'll let you set the stage here. Yeah, I had lunch uh, today in, in D.C. with Michael J. Sila. He is uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, we do a little bit of work together at uh, Wellington DuPont Public Affairs. But I thought it'd be interesting just to get his take on a few things. And I'll tell you about my big epic fail, too. But let me introduce him first. Uh, he is uh, he was a rear admiral. So he he was an admiral in the uh, U.S. Navy. Uh, and uh, he was the head of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or otherwise known as NOAA. And uh, he was a hurricane chaser. So he would go out, he would fly uh, planes into hurricanes, Jody, just wow. to, to find out what was going on. And, and apparently every single hurricane, they got to do that. They can take all the uh, you know, they can do all the stuff outside the hurricane to measure things, but they actually have to fly humans into the eye of the hurricane to get the best instrumentation uh, out there and to find out what the hurricane is doing. And he, he did that for Hurricane Katrina. So I, I thought that was interesting. He, he then went to Washington and worked, uh, worked in the administration, I think, for w, George W. Bush uh, for, at, at NOAA. And, uh, yeah, so he's a naval aviator, you know, and really interesting pilot flew at the Persian Gulf uh, as well and did some neat stuff there. I just thought it'd be interesting to get his perspective, not only about what he did, but also, you know, what's going on in Washington, you know, all of the, all the fighting, the political fighting that goes on there. Is there any hope to actually reduce the temperature there a little bit? And he's actually, uh, uh, actually hopeful that they can. So I, I just thought, I know we've got a lot on our plates, uh, Jody, in Canada with provincial elections and the federal conservative leadership and what's going on with Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh. But hey, I'm in Washington right now. Why not uh, deal with somebody who's got a perspective on stuff in Washington? So I hope people like Michael Siley, great guy. And uh, the one question, oh, Jody, you're going to kill me. You know what was going on in Washington today other than Jason Kenney? No. They were, they were having the hearings on the UFOs. Oh, really? And I should have asked him whether he's ever seen a UFO. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. I'm glad you asked that, Tony. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I actually emailed, emailed him. He hasn't replied. If he would have replied, I could have given you the answer, but he hasn't replied. <laughs> but I he's feel like, like I man, that's, a, that's the so obvious a question on today. They're, they've had the first UFO hearings in Washington in 50 years. And I didn't even ask about that. So I want to apologize profusely to our audience, but uh, maybe uh, you might see a tweet or, or some other post where I will give you that answer from, uh, from Michael, because that would be really cool if he has seen a UFO. I guess so. So let's, uh, let's enjoy this conversation, and then we will come back to wrap up the show. Welcome to And Another Thing podcast. I'm Tony Clement here in downtown Washington, D.C., in a restaurant uh, having a great meal with Michael Sila. He's uh, somebody that I've come to know a little bit, and I thought you should want to know him a little bit too. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Um, 
My name is Michael Sila. I'm a retired admiral in the NOAA Commission Corps, uh, which is a service in the United States devoted to environmental science. And I've been in D.C. for the most part since about 2006. So, retired admiral, but in a very special department. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work in, in that corps. Yeah, I really came over after 10 years or so of, of flying for the Navy uh, to do hurricane research. Uh, this is one of the few places in the world, actually the only place in the world, where um, we have squadrons dedicated to hurricane hunting, uh, one at NOAA and one at the Air Force. And so that intrigued me. I'd grown up on the Gulf Coast in Florida. Uh, I knew how important those forecasts were, and so I really just came to NOAA to fly airplanes into hurricanes because I thought that would be rewarding and exciting and it certainly was all of that. Uh, everything else was just kind of bonus as my career developed. You say it so nonchalantly, flying into hurricanes. Tell us a little bit about what that is like. Well, uh, even now with, uh, you know, with, with outstanding satellite technology and, and uh, uh, I would say a plethora of other observing systems, uh, those forecasts aren't accurate enough unless you put an airplane inside about every three hours. Um, and so that was our job. We would go into hurricanes that threatened uh, uh, the U.S. mostly, although uh, sometimes we would do other storms if they had research value. Um, and every three hours you would want to take measurements from the very center of the hurricane in the middle of the eye. Um, and so, you know, that's what we did, you know, six months a year during hurricane season. We were on standby. And I had the, uh, I would say, good fortune of, of being there for some exceptionally busy hurricane seasons between, say, 2002 and 2006. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was my last storm, and uh, although I didn't know that was going to be my last storm, it, it really punctuated uh, what was a very rewarding time for me in the airplane. Yeah, I mean, that must have been very emotional, too, because of the destruction that it caused eventually, right? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was a really challenging week. We started flying that storm about a week prior when it was just another hurricane and a very busy season. Um, but by the end of that week, you know, when the storm had gotten loose in the Gulf and became a Category 5, I think all of us knew that it was going to hit somewhere and, and uh, create a lot of damage. Uh, the forecast was right on. Uh, it was very, very frustrating and disappointing. You know, to see just how many people died, you know, almost 2,000 people died in the United States uh, as a result of Hurricane Katrina. And in many ways, it kind of led me here because, you know, like many idealists and young people, I thought, well, you know, something's broken and it wasn't in the airplane and it wasn't in the forecast. Uh, let's go find out what that is. And off I went to Washington. So here. And tell us a little bit about your stint, uh, you know, in the administration. Yeah, so I... I came to Washington as an aide um, to the head of NOAA. Uh, the head of NOAA was a political appointee uh, and retired Navy admiral. And uh, it wasn't a job I really embraced. I, uh, I was happily flying airplanes and thought I'd be a pilot forever. And so at, at best, this was going to be an interruption. But he was an outstanding mentor. And when I finished nearly two years with him, uh, I really wanted to learn more about government. And so I went to, to study government for my master's degree and uh, really changed everything for me. That, that, those two experiences really changed everything for me. Yeah, and you said that what, what really interests you is, you know, government processes, how decisions are made, how, how things are done. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, I, I think the idealism is important too. Um, you know, you and I talked about this earlier. You know, Washington gets a really bad rap uh, 
but the Washington I know and the people that I call friends didn't really grow up here. They, they came here to fix big problems. Um, and I think those people are still here trying to fix big problems. Uh, as I said before, you know, the, the Washington that everybody uh, disparages is largely imported. Um, you know, the, the people here are really trying to make a difference, and, and that was certainly the case. I wanted to better understand the process of our, our Congress, the workings of the executive branch, and then as I went on, uh, deeper into the budget process because uh, Washington runs out of money way before they run out of good ideas. So it was important for me to really understand the mechanics of governance and, and of the, uh, the the system of American democracy. And I'm still learning that. So obviously, you know, Canadians looking at the U.S. scene, all they see is chaos these days. Perhaps uh, you know, political chaos and societal chaos. And you've made the point that here in D.C., there's a lot of good people that want to do some good things. But uh, we'd love to get your perspective. Just like is. Is this just like a downward spiral, or is this just a bad period of time, or what, what's going on here? Well, I, I think a couple things. Um, you know, the American system is chaotic by design, to some degree. Um, and so there's always been severe partisan politics in the United States from the beginning. Um, that's not to say it's the same now. Uh, I think that some of the societal influences manifest in politics you know, first and most visibly. Um, the fact that everybody can go to their news outlet of choice and only see opinions like theirs, for example, is a relatively new phenomenon. Right. Um, you know, but I do believe, um, you know, that there are enough people here, uh, you know, to, to find the right answers to big problems. Oftentimes those, those answers are compromises. Um, but if you look at, you know, the history of our republic and the major legislation that really made a difference, um, that, that was almost always bipartisan, and so I'm hopeful that, uh, that we can get back to that, really, with a spirit of compromise at the core. Uh, you know, people united by big ideas, even though they might not be united uh, by how those ideas are executed. Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, I think I just recently learned of an experiment, I think it was at Stanford, uh, where they got a bunch of ordinary Americans into a room for two days, uh, and they were... You know, they were all different ideologies and all different demographics, and then they threw at them the biggest problems of the era. Uh, this is back in 2019, I think. So during the Trump during the Trump presidency, and they were surprised at how they could actually move to a spirit of compromise when when they were given that kind of marching orders to find a solution to something. So, I mean, it, it can be done, but. Uh, what we see in D.C., or at least what the what the impression is, is that there is no spirit of compromise. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, things have changed. Um, you know, one of the things I remember looking at was voting patterns in the early part of American democracy, and those voting patterns were much more closely related to who the members lived with and who they ate with than uh, what party identification they enjoyed. Um, you know, nowadays, nobody really lives in D.C., and so most of the time members of Congress go back to their districts, right, because they have to worry about, about other things. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm still hopeful, you know. It, it, is, it is difficult in an age where, in sometimes very well-intended transparency, um, empower certain news outlets really to magnify and criticize anybody with a substantial record. But um, the true legislators here, the people that are committed, 
know the value of compromise uh, and know that that compromise is largely essential. And so I, I, I think we're going to get back to that. Um, I, I think it's going to be slow going. Um, and, you know, there's an election in five months, so I could be wrong. But, uh, um, but I'm still optimistic. Yeah, last question maybe. Um, we were talking uh, before we started recording about you know, attracting more committed people to politics, some of the impediments to that, whether it's fundraising or whether it's just the toxic atmosphere, maybe social media, that's got to be one of the challenges, right? Yeah, I think that's a big challenge. I think you're seeing people that are very good at it, um, you know, younger people that are very adept at social media and have established a presence and a following, and that's really important. That's going to be essential to be successful in politics. There are also, though, uh, the, kind of the rank and file people that make this place go, um, you know, and they've been here and, and they're always going to be here. You know, people that you don't read about, people, you know, on the personal staffs or the committee staffs or, um, you know, that came here as interns. Um, you know, th- those are, you know, to me, those are my people. Um, and uh, I, I think democracies in America, at least, is in very good hands. Thanks to that. Well, that's, uh, that's good to hear. Uh, Michael Sila, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Excellent chat there. And yeah, that was, uh, that was very cool. And after listening to it now and after listening to your preamble, I'm even more upset that you didn't ask about the <laughs> UFO. So I should have done it, man. Uh, I thought too late. But uh, anyway, it was, we were just at a restaurant. It was more like a conversation, right? Because we were just at a table in a restaurant that you could hear the clinking of glasses and people chatting in the background, but it, so it was kind of relaxed and, uh, but, uh, Hey, he's a rear admiral. You don't you know, every day, you don't get to sit, sit down with somebody high up in the, uh, in, in the Na- U S Navy. So I hope uh, our audience enjoyed that. When Tony met Michael. Yeah. Was that good how it guy. goes? Good guy. <laughs> sure. Um, I was going to say too, what did you guys have for lunch? What'd you eat? We just went like, we didn't go to a highbrow. We, we just went to a, just a place, a sandwich shop. So I had a, I had a, I had a, a croque monsieur, which is a, a French. Like <laughs> we didn't go to a high end place, but I, but I had one of the most elitist sandwich no, ever. No, okay, go, ahead. Like a, go ahead. They just, it's just like a, 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 a meat and cheese. I know what it is. I know okay. What it is. Yeah, and they put the cheese on the on the outside of so the. You bread. had a salami sandwich, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what and, did he uh, have? Uh, he had uh, the tomato soup. And oh, a salad and uh, like a baguette thing. No meat? Yeah, yeah, and the baguette. Oh, okay, yeah. good. I was just going to say. Yeah. I, I question sandwich. when people don't eat meat. Yeah, no, no. He's, he's a meat eater, I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had a good oh. meal, but it was not a high-end meal. It was just a, just a chance to <laughs> chit-chat. With your croque monsieur. Croque monsieur. All right. Well, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to... We have some great guests coming up. I'm not going to tell all the, the gory details. But, we don't uh, like to jinx it by talking about our yeah, guests. Exactly. We actually, then they'll bail on us. Record, record then they'll bail it. on us. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, but we do have some good guests, uh, as I say, circling the runway. So uh, we'll hope to land some of those soon for our, our audience, for sure. All right. Thanks again to Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca, our presenting sponsors, as well as looneypolitics.com. You can go there for exclusive content. Use the code podcast to get 50% off an annual subscription. And Tony, where else can they hear the show? Huntersbayradio.com every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. Where the podcast is rebroadcast. 
Yes. A nice little catchy slogan. So anyway, enjoy the rest of your time in Washington. Uh, I know you're back soon and we'll talk in seven days. You got, you got it.